to another episode of Life in Progress. I'm Lindsay Field, and this week I sit down with Karen Brown, a longtime friend and one of the directors of The Foster Box, a local organization that serves foster families and children in the area. We talk about the ins and outs of foster care, the highs and the lows, the joys and the difficulties that are involved in that life. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for being here, Karen, in your house. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I've actually house. said that multiple times. I think that every episode so far, it's thank you for having me at your house. Um, uh, but no, I'm happy to be here and I'm glad that we were able to finally make this work yeah. with your super intense and crazy schedule, which I'm sure we'll talk being about. Flexible. Yeah. <laughs> So as you know, uh, one of Sojourn's values is this idea of beyond the walls, of getting beyond the borders of our campus, of our house, to engage our faith in the world around us. And uh, when I was thinking through who embodies that, I thought of you, which I know uh, you think about yourself (laughs) that way too, right? Of course, of course. Um, So yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and maybe why we're sitting here in your... Uh, dining room uh, talking. Sure, sure, you bet. So, my name is Karen Brown and I am a wife mm-hmm. and a mom to, well, three biological kids, one pre-adoptive little boy and a foster mom to many. Mm-hmm. We just sent home a little guy yesterday, so mom to four today. <laughs> um, I also um, work part-time job here from home, and I run a not-for-profit organization we started a few years back with some friends called The Foster Box. Wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess the first question for you is... Uh, Sojourn's, it's either mission statement or vision statement. I don't really know the difference between the two. We've talked so about it. Confusing. Yeah. I won't look it up. I've been told the difference a million times and I still don't remember. Um, but one of those statements um, <laughs> is helping students discover God's dream for their life, um, which you and I both know. I can, love that. Right? I need it for, yeah, just take the students. Right? Right, yeah. yeah. And yeah, Talking and people. Um, that's kind of that's something we do past college and so when you think about that statement like what does that statement mean to you i totally agree that is something you do um continually it's not you don't get there yep i discovered god's dream for my life and god probably has multiple dreams for all of our lives so you may discover one and then you get to change course Mm -hmm. and um go another route. Uh, I think that probably for most people, that's something that happens throughout their whole entire life. Yeah. I hope that does for me. I hope God's not done with me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that kind of be disappointing, like, to get to a point where you're like, eh, done with you now. Yeah. Well Moving done. On. Well done, servant. You can retire from... No. No, I hope not. I hope that, um, yeah, it just continues to get better. As you... The older you get, I think you figure out more who you are and how God wired you to be, and you settle into that place and are more comfortable there. Yeah. So, that's what I'm hoping for. Awesome. Um... So you mentioned uh, your involvement in foster care, foster box, like the whole conglomerate. Um, what about the foster care system like drew you to being a part of it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that just 
the way that I'm wired, the way my husband's wired, we we just love children. We've always loved children. We met each other in the nursery at church. Like that's just kind of part of our DNA. So from the very beginning, we kind of talked about, um, oh, someday, someday we'll be foster parents. Someday maybe we'll adopt. Um, and so we always knew that was gonna be part of our story. We just pushed off for a long time um, until um, we decided, we have to just take the first step here. We have to go to a class. This is something we say we're gonna do. We'll go to the class and we'll just see what it's like. And we're not committing to anything. We're just committing to go to this class. So we went to the first class and uh, we got in our car when we were leaving and Mike looked at me and said, um, we now know too much. We've gone to class for three hours. We know too much about this foster care crisis to turn back. So we either we are either all in or we quit right now mm-hmm. because we can't know what we know and not do anything about it, not try to be part of the solution. Yeah. So yeah, that's what first drew us into foster care, and that, that class was about three and a half years ago. Yeah, that class must have been really rough to sit through. Um, it was, yes, it was hard and amazing all at the same time. Yeah. I can just imagine coming out of that, like, like Mike said, you just know too much. Like your heart is just, you know, too much in a million pieces. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's what it is. Right. The other thing that drove us into foster care was we, um, have a relationship with a family who fostered and adopted kids. And as you start to, um, learn the names and the stories of children living in foster care, it becomes very real, very personal. When they sit on your lap and hug your neck, you can't ignore that population anymore. Yeah. You know, and um, I think we are compelled by the gospel to fight for them. These are these are one of the most vulnerable, if not the most vulnerable um, population group in our midst. They can't fight for themselves, their children. So I think all of those things probably, um, you know, our faith certainly compels us. Jesus always fought for the marginalized and, and those on the outskirts, and we want to be those people too. But for us kids mm-hmm. and going to that class and knowing um, children who lived in foster care and knowing a foster family is kind of what started that trajectory. Tra- tra- trajectory. Sure. That path, that yeah. sojourn for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the most common refrains I hear from people who are not a part of the fostering system and are kind of afraid to jump into that pool um, is this idea of like letting go of the children. Like you said, when they right. when they sit in your lap, when they hug your neck, like then how do you hand them back knowing what they may or may not be walking back into? And so how do you guys... How do you guys navigate that piece and how did you, I don't know, how do you come to terms with that? Or do you? Yeah, yeah. That is probably the most common question we get as foster parents or people who don't even know you in the store or whatever. They say, oh, I could never do it because I could never give them back. Yeah. And what you want to say is, yes, it breaks my heart every time mm-hmm. too because 
you fall in love with kids in like a hot second. Yeah. So whether you have them a few days, a few months, whatever, um, yeah, you're in love with them um, when it's time to send them home. But you also sign up for this. The goal is for a family to be reunified and for you to kind of mind the gap, fill in that gap while the parents um, get healthy or whatever it is that they need. So I know what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. Does it make it any easier? No. Um, it's, it's really hard and we shed tears every single time, but these children are so worthy of love. They are so worthy of experiencing, um, family. They are so worthy of you bonding, um, with them. That's what they need, especially children from trauma. Hmm. Um, that's what helps heal your brain from that. Um, and so that's something we can get. We didn't start fostering because we needed more children in our family. We already had three. It was chaotic enough here. But we have a family, and there are a lot of kids who need a family, whether it's for a season or for forever. And so, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get easier, actually. And you just have to know your role and allow yourself um, the opportunity to grieve that because it's a real loss. You weren't just the foster parent. You were their parent for a season and it's okay to find sorrow in that and also joy that um they get to move on whatever that looks like for them i feel like another common thing that i hear um from people again who are not involved in the foster care system is they're afraid for their own children right bringing uh, some of this unknown, especially you mentioned trauma and Absolutely. stuff into that house. So, um, from my point of view, you, your kids are just, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> like you said, they're part of the family, but like they love these children as yeah. their siblings. Um, but yeah, how do you, how do you respond to something like that? And how did you and Mike work right. through those concerns? Um, one of I don't say we have any regrets really in foster care, but one of the things that um, we look back at and, and um, think is, gosh, the reasons we didn't start fostering sooner, even though we wanted to, were concerns like this. Like, mm-hmm. how, maybe we should wait till our you know biological children are a little bit older and can handle this, or when our life isn't quite so crazy, or when we're not in all of this transition. Um, yeah, life is complicated, it's chaotic, but it always is. And so looking back, those were maybe not, um, they were maybe excuses, they were legitimate, but you know, we don't even, uh, life is still crazy, it's probably more crazy now, and we still move <laughs> forward. So the, one of those concerns were, was the kids are little. Yeah. Like, we talked to some other foster parents to kind of gain some insight, what would your wisdom be here? Um, and what they explained to us and what I would say now I wholeheartedly agree with is um, my children are so much better for this. How could I not expose them to this? Um, yes, sometimes you're exposing them to trauma, but you're also teaching them all about family and what family looks like and that family isn't necessarily blood and we don't always look like each other um, and that family could be your um, about-to-be-adopted brother's um, half-sibling that yeah. comes to the birthday, you know? Yeah. That's, that's still your brother. Um, they have learned um, compassion and empathy. They have learned things like this house does not revolve around you. They've learned flexibility. That's always a hard lesson. To learn. I know. I still feel like we got to work on that one. Maybe even with me. <laughs> 
Um, Especially now that your uh, biological children are becoming teenagers, I feel like you need to, like, redo that lesson. (laughs) Constantly. I need them to drive so they can help me out a little more. I feel like that's the teenage, yeah, like... That's the the only benefit of a teenager. Yes. (laughs) They're independent. So much of my life revolves around you because I have to drive you someplace. So if you could drive yourself... um, now I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the protect or so, yeah. the fear, I guess. Yeah. Um so I feel like they've learned a lot of um, valuable lessons and just how their character is developed through fostering. Mm-hmm. Whether it's um, learning to be compassionate from people who come from hard places and realizing that, yeah, we didn't all grow up the same and we weren't all given the same life choices. Um, they, they learned how to be more flexible and adaptable. Um, a lot of times with foster care, this just happened um, with our last placement. Um, they call you to take a child and two hours later, there's a child in your house so if your kids are in school they might just come home and there's a baby there um (laughs) i got on an airplane flight and um talked to my husband and everything was fine and landed and there was a baby at our house um so you just never know so they just really have to you know be able to roll um with things they're also because they are teenagers old enough to help yeah, and so it's it's taught them too that um, everybody in this family plays a part. It's we're not just foster mom and foster dad. Like mm-hmm. this, this takes everybody. And now I can't imagine my children not having those things. Yeah, living so sheltered and not realizing that not everybody um, has a loving family and has a safe place to live. Well, and especially with this little boy in pre-adoption, like yes, it it's hard for me to imagine him not being a part of this family and you've known us way before yeah. him right yeah yeah i know i can't either and what's interesting is we knew we were or we thought we were done having biological children but we also knew that our youngest was just not meant to be the youngest child in this family he often takes on that caretaker role he's been a big sibling since he was a newborn like really he really is, is the one that just gathers all the children on the play uh mm-hmm. I was watching him the other day after church like helping all the little kids on the playground and it's not because anybody asked him to because that's just who he is that's totally who god wired him to be and um we do rely on him a lot to help yesterday um we were sending a child home and the social worker was coming at a designated time and I wanted to make sure that this baby had a full belly before they left and so Owen came in from school can I say his name it's up to you it's up to you if you want to say his name or not so you're Owen the parent came in from school and um he really wanted to be the one to give that baby his last bottle before mm. he left. So he gave the baby his bottle, burped the baby, and then asked if he could be the one to carry the baby to the social worker's car <laughs> and strap him in. So he straps him in and um, kisses him on the head. And um, he he slid into a role in foster care as yeah. the big brother um, so naturally and just fully embraces it. Oh, he's such a good kid. He is. We're going to keep that one. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the other two are like, nah, they'll be fine. <laughs> Depends on the day. The one that changes the diaper that day, that's That's the favorite. favorite. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so what are, I mean, obviously there's some incredible highs and incredible lows on this journey that you're on. What have been some of those for you? 
yes, that might be an understatement. Um, I think um, certainly not a low, but just what I mentioned before, like I wish that we would have started this sooner. Mm. I wish this would have been part of our story sooner. I wish we wouldn't have let the fears or the perceptions that we had in our mind of what being a foster parent meant. Um, I wish those wouldn't have held us back, that we could have, even if we thought we're not ready to be foster parents, that we could have dipped our toe into caring for that community um, maybe even before taking the entire jump into being foster parents. Um, so certainly not a regret. Our greatest high is that we are, we did not step into fostering to adopt a child, but um, when this child that's been living with us since birth became adoption eligible, like you said, I can't even imagine my family without yeah. him now. Um, he's a part of us and we're a part of him. And so my greatest high, my greatest joy is going to be the day that he has our last name mm -hmm. and we're one big family. Yeah. I mean, we're a family now, but just officially on yeah. paper. Legally. Legally, yes. All the, all the things. Well, and, um, you know, adoption has been a part of my family story. And one thing that we've learned through that, and you and I have talked about this before, but just the... I don't think what people who haven't gone through this process don't understand is that yes it is an incredible moment to welcome this person into your family legally that um you know you believe has always been a part of your family and in your heart they've always been a part of your family but that at the same time what that means exactly for their biological family mm -hmm. is absolutely heartbreaking your heart literally has to hold two emotions at the same time the day that um, you recognize, whether it's legally in court or just circumstantially, that your child's biological family is not going to be able to care for them. It's a very sorrowful mm -hmm. time. It's a time of grieving. A family cannot be together for whatever reason. Um, and that is sad and that's heartbreaking, especially when you know how wonderful that child is and you long for their family to know that too. Yeah. Um, on so many levels it's heartbreaking and then at the same time the other half of your heart is so filled with joy because they get to be yours yeah you know so it is it's this um dichotomy that i can't think of any other time in my life when i've felt those two conflicting emotions at the same time yeah yeah it's it's an emotional roller coaster for sure yeah because even even if you know that um it, and this wasn't his story or the stories in my family, but like, even if you know this child is coming out of something that's like highly abusive or, you know, whatever, the fact that they still had to go through that, oh, you absolutely. know, and so there's just this weird dichotomy there of wonderfulness and absolute sorrow and... Yeah, it's um, in foster care. We often say there's um, there's beauty that comes out of the brokenness. Mm. But yeah, something has to break. Yeah, and then there's this story of redemption. It's a picture of the gospel um, every day. But but yeah, it's it's really <laughs> yeah. Well, I like what you said there that you know beauty can come from it. But first, something had to, like I've, something, yeah. I've heard that phrase before. You know, beauty from brokenness. Yeah. But I never stop to think about something first has to break. Right. Um, and so it, it will never be fully what it was meant to be. No, no. I never, I can never remember what culture does this, but is it, it's, maybe it's Japanese when pottery breaks and they solder it back together with gold hmm. and they look at those cracks 
differently, right? They make yeah. beauty out of something that essentially was broken. Um, I feel like maybe we kind of solder our hearts back together with gold like mm. that and make them something um, that's valuable. Yeah. You know, you're and you didn't think you had anything to offer to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not sure. I don't even know. It's probably not even. I, I'm sure I have the culture wrong. <laughs> I apologize. I, I'll, I'll fact check that. Yes, for you. If you could, um, absolutely. <laughs> Not make me sound like a dummy. Let's just pretend there's some broken pottery and we solder it with gold and now it's still really beautiful. Um, yeah. Somebody in the world does that. Somebody does this. And if they don't, they should. That's, yeah. I'm sure that's a beautiful that's thing. That's a marketable idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> in my spare time, I'm going to start doing this. Yeah, in all your free time. Um, which, speaking of free time, uh, you are a part of helps create this organization called the Foster Box. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Um, I love to talk about it. Um, so we started fostering and we get these placements. And like I said, you just don't have um, much notice that a child is coming. Maybe a couple hours. Maybe if they're coming straight from the hospital, um, a day or two. And it's just not feasible to think that a foster parent has everything that they might possibly need for this new incoming child just hanging out in their home. And so we'd end up contacting, texting. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just Googled it. It's yes. Japanese culture. Japanese. I knew. Did I you were Japanese? right. You were right. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to give you encouragement. What's it called? Oh, um, I already closed out of the tab. Uh, <laughs> it's a source of encouragement. Kintsugi? Yeah, we're going to go with that. Kintsugi. It's the Japanese Kintsukuroi? <laughs> I do not speak Japanese. <laughs> Anyways, Foster Box. (laughs) So the Foster Box um, is just a resource for parents that when they get a placement so that they don't have to say, no, I don't, I can't take that child. I don't have anything for them. Mm -hmm. I don't have a car seat. I don't have a Yeah, I don't have a car seat. I don't have a pack and play. Uh, It's winter and this child just came and has no coat. Um, I guess I just have to stay inside all winter because that works. <laughs> Which in Boston is kind of what we do anyway. Yeah, I mean, no, you know. Absolutely. You can't actually open the door because These there's too much snow. These old houses are so drafty. You might need a coat inside. It's true. <laughs> so uh, basically the Foster Box is an online resource. People can hop online, order what they need for their new placement, and then we deliver it to them so that they can just focus more on uh, bonding with that child, settling in, and we can provide some of those basics so that, um, yeah, so that's just one last thing to think about. When a child is coming, there's just a lot going through your head. Um, And one of those details is, what am I gonna dress them in? What am I going to put them in my car in, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's how the foster box is born. Yeah, and you started this with a few other women in our community. How did, like, where did this idea start? How did it form? Because, like, I can't imagine that, like, you just woke up one day. I mean, I love you, Karen, but I know, I can't imagine that you just woke up one day and were like, I woke up one day complaining. Like, they keep calling me to take these kids, and um, they show up literally in dirty pajamas and the diaper on them. And so I was probably complaining to one of my friends, like, this is so hard. This kid has nothing. You I never complain, ever. I have to stop texting ever. you all. Because um, my community would just show up, and that's what they would do. They would just, I would text, and they just 
show up with it, which yeah. was beautiful. But we were thinking how connected we are. We have a church community. We have friends, like, mm-hmm. um, with children, This, you know, a lot of the same ages as the children we were fostering. What do people without a community do? Like, yeah. if this is hard for us and we're so well-connected, we can't be the only ones with this problem. Yeah. So how can we solve this problem? The other thing is we're a bunch of moms, so we're all thinking about all the stuff that's in our basement, thinking, gosh, if we just pool all this, mm-hmm. we could probably close, you know, half of New England. Like, we should absolutely pool our resources, share, um, and be a resource to those who don't have, be mm-hmm. the community that, the, you know, the foster community needs when they get a placement. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons we deliver too, um, is just so that we can potentially have an ongoing relationship with a foster family. That right. is, they get new placements. Um, they know to call us. We know, mm-hmm. um, you know. Well, and, and the delivery piece, I think, is especially nice because um, for people not from this area, like, it is not easy to get around. <laughs> uh, you know, like, it, even if you do have a vehicle, it's, it's not easy not, yeah, it's to get around. And not easy to get around with kids. It's just a great option. Right. Well, I mean, just like there's no straight lines in this there city. Are no straight lines. <laughs> you know, so you could live three miles from somebody and it still takes you 30 minutes mm-hmm. with no traffic <laughs> to we get there. Amazon to get on board with us and yeah. like prime our orders out there for you us go. so that we don't have to drive around. <laughs> it feels um, a little archaic. But um, no, that is why we deliver mm-hmm. so that we can build a relationship and um, so that. That's one less thing. Yeah. They don't have to come pick up from us. Yeah. Um, and how long has Foster Box been around? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> About three years okay. from when the idea was born to, mm-hmm. you know, actual incorporation right. and when you get your not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going into labor. Like, I don't know. When do you count from? I'm not really sure. <laughs> Our little organization <laughs> went into labor probably about three years ago. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just, I don't know if you have any idea, but if you had to guess roughly, how many uh, foster families would you say you've served in that three years? Oh, you are going to make me feel like a big dummy. Um I'd have to do some math on that. What's interesting about a lot of our orders is um, families are ordering for multiple children Mm. at that house, or we have kind of repeat customers that will have a placement for a while, so then they'll order the next season, um, but for the same child. So it's kind of hard to gauge how many families versus how many Mm -hmm. children versus were those the same children that we served twice. Um, We just started a second location, though, which is great because really um, the way that we can serve people is by making sure that they're in a delivery area that makes sense for us. Right. Um, if they're not, we we will absolutely pack something and they can come pick it up. But um, by having a second location, we have now a second radius of, right. of families that we can Reaching help. even more yes, people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, yeah, one big hub is probably not the best. Some little hubs in neighborhoods are so mm-hmm. that you can reach more people. Yeah. And like you said, have that more local feel of like actually relational building and absolutely because yeah, I'm I'm sure in foster care, yes, the physical supplies is a huge need, but there's also the emotional and mental support. Yeah, uh, that you so need. So many challenges that other people yeah. don't understand if you're not in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, agreed, hundred percent. Yeah. And we, you know. The foster circle, um, then we see these people at other things too, whether yeah. it's events, whether it's our own um, 
the trainings and things put on by the same office that, that we also go to. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's its own little community. This might be a terrible question. Uh, if it <laughs> is, we can edit we, it, we can out. Edit it, it out. Uh, do you ever find families that have all cared for the same children? Meaning a child has gone to multiple families? Yeah, because I know that like, sometimes there's, you know, emergency placement for like a night or two. Yes. But then sometimes, unfortunately, that child is in and out mm-hmm. of the system. So, I mean, yes. is that something that families who have all cared for the same child or children that they kind of yes. share this notes? Has happened, and actually, this has happened to us several times. Mm-hmm. Um we had a sweet little girl that's, that lived with us, and um, she spoke Spanish. Oh, right. Yes, you know this little girl. Yeah. And um, so she only spoke Spanish. She was only supposed to be with us for a few days. Uh, it was only supposed to be in care for a few days. When um, when the powers that be realized it's going to be longer, um, they wanted to go ahead and send her to a Spanish-speaking home. Mm-hmm. Um, our Spanglish and Google Translate just wasn't going to cut it long term. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to center because two years old, it's language development well, stuff, right? Like, it's yeah, just, I it mean, it's sense. the best needs for the child. It's the best needs for the child. So they found a Spanish speaking home and the little girl went there. And after about six months, it become it became apparent that this wasn't going to be a home that worked for her. Mm. Um, and so they called and asked if we could take uh, take her in addition to the other foster child we had at the time. And we just really felt like we were kind of over over capacity we were Mm -hmm. overextended and prayed about it and that was heartbreaking too and you still hadn't learned spanish in six months i still although when she left i swore i was going to learn spanish so that i would never have to send a child along because Mm. i didn't know spanish yeah um maybe there's a regret i need to learn spanish um because it, it did break my heart to send her along. But she came back into care, and we really felt like we weren't the ones to take her. But our dear friends, who are also foster parents, who loved on her when she was at our house, uh, were in a position to take her, and were excited to. And so we joke, um, that mom and I, that we got to co-parent her. Yeah. Because they live up the street. I got to keep her, um, you know, all the time for them. Um, and so, yeah, she, we were still involved in her life. I had, uh, we had a baby that we had for a while and then the little girl went back to her mom um, and it wasn't a good situation. After about seven weeks, she came back into care and uh, she came back in on a weekend. So on the weekend, um, if somebody comes into care, they go to what's called a hotline home, a family that just takes kids on the weekends and after hours. Well, I have a friend who's a hotline home worker and um, she, she calls me about 10 at night and, and says, I, I just got a baby, and it's your baby mm. that you brought home from the hospital. And so, again, I got to co-parent with her. And since she was a hotline home, she just had the baby for a few days. But then um, we got to, um, together as a community, kind of decide, okay, village, this child needs a home. Let's make a request. And so she went to another family that I see all the time. And so, again, got to be a part of her life. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I love that um, the foster community really is like a village. And some of it is because of, like, regulations for fostering. Like, I can't just leave my children um, overnight with people who aren't foster parents. So I've got to right. be friends with them. And I want to know and love them because I'm going to leave my babies with them. Right. Well, yeah, because even for babysitting purposes, right, like... The babysitter has to be trained through... Um, yeah, you know, you would think that the regulations would be the same through the whole state because it's a state organization, but 
Um, I think the rules are different kind of for each office, but yes, um, even babysitting can be challenging. Right. Depends on who you ask. Some will say if you trust your biological children with a person, you can leave your foster. Some will say they have to be Corey checked and some will say no, only left with only foster families. yeah okay. yeah exactly definitely only foster families for overnights overnights right absolutely man <laughs> man yeah so we got to be tight with our other people well so you mentioned something in that story of just you regret not learning spanish but you want to learn the languages so that you don't have to say no to a child like to me that just says there's a lot of or at least for you a lot of pressure to like be all the things for the children, right? To never um, be unable to care for a child, even if it's beyond the scope of what would be realistically asked of a parent, like learn every language so that you can take these children. Um, if I learn Japanese, then I can, then you can and pronounce yeah, pottery thing. I mean, that would be helpful for me if you could learn <laughs> Japanese. Do my best. Uh, but yeah, so how do you how do you not get inundated with those pressures from your own personal self? Um, I think I do. Um, I and something like that, like Spanish, you don't know until it's like hindsight, right? Then you're right. like, oh, I wish this is something I wish I didn't know that going in. Um, I think that we have to prayerfully consider every um, placement we take and make sure that we are the right fit. Um, Mike and I are both people who want to always lead with a yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus is pretty clear in the Bible about how he felt about um, children who were orphans. Foster children are not orphans. They have a family, but they are situationally orphaned for an amount of time. Right. Um, I think those children are close to the heart of God. We want them to be close to our hearts too and I think sometimes we pray about things that we don't need to pray about because God's already been pretty clear with what we're supposed to do but we do even if it's just for a few minutes pray um, before taking a placement um, just so that we can ensure that this is the best fit for our family for our children um, for us in that season mm-hmm. um, we kind of we have to um, that doesn't mean we don't overcommit. that doesn't mean we're not tired our family isn't chaotic Yes, all those things. But we have, um, at times, had to say no to a placement for whatever reason. Because it just wasn't the right timing. Mm. I don't want decisions that I've made to be a part of the child's statistics. So I don't want a child to have to say, I lived in four foster homes because I didn't know Spanish or because I was too tired to hear from them or because I said yes when I was in a place that I shouldn't have Mm. said yes. Yeah. I want to do everything I can to make sure that I'm doing my part um, to make their time um, living in a foster family a success for them and ultimately get them in their happy safe home whether it's the one they came from or a new one. Yeah. Yeah. if you were speaking to somebody who is considering foster care, what advice would you give them? Um, I think that you should put yourself in proximity, or this is what I wish I would have done, put myself in proximity, close proximity, to um, things that break the heart of God. Um, 
he's clear how he feels about orphans in the Bible. I didn't need to pray about that for years with my husband. Like, we knew that God had given us um, kind of that bond as, as a family and as a couple. We needed to step out in faith earlier. Um, I would say put yourself in close proximity and see just see what God does with that. That doesn't mean you have to be a foster parent. Do something. Dip your toe in wherever that place is. Whatever, um, I don't want to say cause because that word doesn't feel quite right, but... Mm. Um, that population that breaks your heart, step closer and just see what God does with that. Um, step closer in spite of your fears, in spite of your insecurities, limited time, limited resources, all those things. Just just take a step and see what happens. Yeah. Um, we never thought that by saying yes to a foster care class that um, a year in we would both quit our vocations <laughs> to work in um, foster care. Um, yeah. Myself as a volunteer um, and my husband as a, a job, um, but God just totally changed our hearts. Yeah. Um, and really, we really felt like that's where we needed to be. Um, yeah, I would have never guessed that. So look out, you might end up with a new job if you get close. <laughs> Don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> now I can't imagine not doing what we do. This seems like, yeah. um, of course, you know, the timing um, was perfect, but um, this is just the way he wired us to be, and we needed the life experience before that to do what we do now. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I have one final question. Yes. Uh, one of our other values at Sojourn is the idea that having fun can be a spiritual act of worship. Absolutely. So the question for you is, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Um, I feel like I was thinking about this not too long ago. Like, what did, um, like, young 20-something Karen do for fun versus what um, (laughs) double age, yes, Karen does for fun? Now, fun for me feels like a a lot different than Mm -hmm. it did before. Um, This house is full and loud a lot of the time. And while that is fun, like, sometimes I, like, just, I got to get away for fun. A nice margarita on the beach with nobody around. (laughs) Yes, with no one. Sometimes I just really crave solitude and that's fun for me. Um, For Mother's Day, um, my husband's like, okay, you can do anything. How do you want us to celebrate you? And I'm like, I don't. I want to leave. Actually, I just need to check out for a few hours. I am an introvert at heart. And um, so, um, yeah, I went to, like, I went to a big flea market and got myself a big coffee and was happy as a clam. Do I love my family? Absolutely. Most of the time, fun for me looks like, you know, Friday night movie night on the couch. I'm sure most mothers can relate to what you just said, though, of like, I love my family, but. (laughs) I love them. But if I'm doing something for, we love day trips to. Um, we live in such a great part of the country. Yeah. Um, you know, you left and came back. It's <laughs> true. It's true. <laughs> um, we live in a great part of the country. Like, right now, like, if I could have... Uh, our, our days just look different now. Mm-hmm. Like, our weekends are full of soccer and flag football and, and things like that. But if I could have a day to just zoom up to Maine and eat lobster rolls and homemade ice cream and, yeah, mm-hmm. play on the beach... Perfect. That yeah. is a, it. Makes your California girl heart happy. It does. Yes, my West Coast meets East Coast heart. Mm-hmm. Love me a good lobster roll. Um, yeah, for fun. I, you know, the twenty-something girl is a member of the skydiving club and all these crazy things. What? I did not know that about you. Yes, I. Um, I how many do. Ti- how many times did you go skydiving? Um. <sighs> 
like close to a half dozen. Wow. I don't remember. Yeah. Man, after man, we've known each other for <laughs> for a, a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm still finding out new things about you. Mm. I won't tell you why I joined the Skydiving Club on air. But <laughs> secrets for behind the scenes. Yes. No. Yeah. The girl back then was a little crazier, and now my idea of crazy is, you know, going out instead of mm-hmm. instead of pizza on the couch. <laughs> As the person who went overseas to get a tattoo, I feel like I can understand yes. a little bit of that uh, desire for the random. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but also as the introvert. I, it yeah. doesn't take um, much for me to have fun, honestly. Yeah. And when you are in a house um, with four kids, like, it's just fun all the time. Like, sometimes the fun is a little out of hand and you think, gosh, I'm not, this is like a circus, <laughs> which isn't always fun. It's like fun for an hour or two, but then it's like you, the circus has got to end. Like, right, right. Yeah. Put People got to go home. Bed. Yeah, go home. Exactly. It is after nine o'clock. The circus <laughs> is shut down right now. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, Wonderful. A good afternoon nap on a Sunday. Mm. Like, that's kind of dreamy for me. Yeah. Is that fun? I don't know. Those are the way that... If I'm dreaming of how I'm going to spend my, like, perfect day... Yeah, that's... I mean, that's right up there. Mm-hmm. Lobster roll on the beach in Maine while also getting a nap. Mm-hmm. Cocktail, mm-hmm. sunset, in bed by 10. That sounds like a good day. It's a good day, right? Yeah. Do it with some people you love. Yeah. All in. I'm all in. See tomorrow. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate thank the conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to talk about something I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for checking out another episode of Life in Progress. Thanks again to Karen Brown for taking time out of her crazy busy schedule for sitting down to talk with me. If you want to learn more about the Foster Box, their website will be in the show notes. You can also check them out on Facebook and Instagram. As always, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, feedback of any kind, we'd love to hear it. Please reach out via Facebook, Instagram, Gmail, whatever. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again in two weeks.